right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. My name is Randy. I am joined right now by my associate, my good friend, Mr. Cody McBride. We're thrilled to have you guys uh, tune back in. It's another LPGA episode. So let's get started. Cody, good morning to you. How are you doing? We are great, big, excited to talk LPGA golf again. We had a phenomenal event out in Singapore and, you know, the season's finally starting. It feels like we've done, like, preview after preview after another preview. And now we can finally, like, get the, the meat of the schedule going. And I'm pumped to talk about it today, buddy. Amen. Amen to that. Uh, well, before we dive in, let me thank our good friends at Titleist. This episode is brought to you by Titleist. And one thing that we have learned through our partnership with Titleist is the importance of getting fit. The fitting process is critical to playing your best golf. Every golfer can benefit from a proper golf ball and club fitting. And the order is important. On tour, Titleist will start with irons. So dialing in the proper model choice, the shaft, the specs, and then this results in the right distance gaps that you can trust all the way through to the right loft, bounce, and grind with Vokey designed wedges. And then the next step, once you get that all dialed in, is fitting your golf ball from the green back to the tee. Scoring shots are the focus. Once your irons are dialed in, Titleist can help determine which golf ball produces the right flight, spin, and feel for every shot. And then, Cody, after that, once your golf ball is properly fit for the scoring shots, that's when it's time to fit the big dogs, the woods, the driver, the various models and sure fit hosel settings can be finely tuned to maximize distance and dispersion. What it all means is properly fit equipment suited to your game. Cody, I've gotten to play now, oh gosh, six, seven rounds with, uh, with the Titleist gear. The driver, I'm, I'm wowing folks with the window that the ball is launching out of with my TSR-1. I use the Pro V1X. It's a big difference, and it's exciting. You know, I never felt like I could really launch the driver or trust that the ball would launch off my driver face. And now it's, you know, without really tinkering my swing very much, you know, I feel like I'm making the same move on the ball, but that ball's getting up there. So have you had much of a chance to play your new Titleist uh, equipment? Uh, no, when you just said those numbers of the amount of rounds you have already this year from a guy who lives in Denver, I'm absolutely uh, impressed. It's nuts. I think I've gone out to play three times so far, but that's because of scheduling everything else. But I could not agree with you more. The importance of getting fit from the green back, dialing in that golf ball, and then really trying to get people in, in the irons that are best for them. And I think you can find a Titleist authorized fitter basically wherever you're at. They have a phenomenal website where literally you can find all this stuff at to get you tuned into the clubs that are best for you. Yeah. If anybody is interested in, in learning more about the fitting process, finding a fitter in your area, go to www.titleist.com slash fitting. You have all the information right there. We thank our good friends and partners at Titleist. And now let's jump in. Yeah, Cody, you mentioned, man, um, we still got uh, people are going to be listening to this. We, we don't have a tournament this weekend, 
But man, we're ready. The the drive on championship from your old neck of the woods, Superstition Golf Course in Arizona begins Thursday, March twenty third. And then I believe we have six events in seven weeks, seven events in eight weeks. So the, the yeah, the LPGA season, it's it's gonna officially get rolling downhill. I'm very excited for that. Yeah, it, it's uh I could not be more excited again for this schedule to actually start. There is an event this week, not LPGA Tour event this week. It's the first, the first Aramco Team Series event of the year. And world number one, Lydia Ko, is playing in it. So I'm very keen to figure out if the form that she showed in Saudi Arabia is going to carry over. And then hopefully, you know, we'll see her arrival in Arizona and just start beating everyone up because that's what it seems like her game's at right now. She's she's truly like just peaking, which from being like in the doldrums of 50th, whatever she was in the world to where she's at now, seemingly like in the last two years, it, it seems like she's figured everything out. And it's so awesome to, to look at. Yeah, great, great call on the LET playing this week. Of course, uh, they are they are in the midst of their schedule. And I also want to note the Epson Tour, they have kicked off already, but they are playing their second event of the year this weekend, the Carlisle Arizona Women's Golf Classic in Mesa, Arizona. And it's it's kind of a fun one. It's, it's one to keep uh, an eye on the leaderboard for sure, only because there's a number of of women with LPGA status that are playing in the Epson Tour event this week as sort of a warm-up, you know, final prep before the LPGA season really kicks off in earnest next week. So that will be that'll be a leaderboard to keep an eye on. Do you know what I love seeing on these Epson Tour leaderboards is that you have all these LPGA players that come down and like, oh, we're gonna play in these warm-up events and, and you know, do back-to-back weeks in Arizona. And then you have like the Epson stalwarts like Jillian, who just blast everyone out she's like I'm, I'm number two on the list already this year this is my tour this is my status nobody's taking this away from me i love it yeah i know i do too it's um and just i'm always struck by the talent on the epson tour you know i i think as we talk about that the top end talent just growing and and it's in such a good place on the lpga tour what i mean what that means is you have really good players that you know i'm looking like at gabby ruffles who who won a USAM and almost won a second time? She's she's on the Epson tour, so it's it's really it's really getting deep, which is which is great, and yeah, it should be a, a really interesting weekend this week. But enough enough about Epson tour for now, Cody. We have a great show planned for folks today. You and I are going to chat a little bit here off the top. And then we have two guests. The first guest is going to be a recap of the Asian swing, the mini Asian swing that just concluded with our our friend. Uh, She's a delightful personality. Kate Burton is going to join me for a conversation. So I'm looking forward to that. And then our second guest of the show is going to be our very own young hitter, Lauren Coughlin. What we wanted to get into with her is exploring how she thinks about her year right she hasn't made any starts yet she'll she'll tee it up at the drive on um just talking to her about building a schedule how she thinks about her calendar how she makes decisions where to play when to play etc so i'm looking forward to that chat as well oh yeah buddy i'm pumped i'm always jealous about kate she seems to have like the best schedule in the world she she's based out of uh singapore so predominantly asia and covers the majority of of let events doing their telecast but 
man, she gets to travel to some really, really cool places. And if you follow her like on Instagram, she's always getting into something awesome, whether it's culture, food, like you name it. it it's truly a joy to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think she's somebody we're, we're, we're going to have to hopefully make a recurring guest because her energy, her, her golf knowledge, it's just top rate. So really enjoyed the conversation with Kate and I think everybody will too. Cody, what I wanted to do before we get to the guest segments, and I, I listen to a lot of Bill Simmons. You know, shout out Bill Simmons. I really enjoy his his basketball pods. Uh, I think you know he runs a, a good shop over at the Ringer. But he started doing something that I'm just shamelessly going to steal, and I, I want to use it here <laughs> with you and I. He he does like a he'll he'll do like a storyline draft. Right, so like, what are the biggest stories of the NBA season? And he and his guests will just kind of pick. You know, somebody will have the first pick, and they'll pick one, and then they'll go from there. So I wanted to do that, but talking about the biggest storylines thus far uh, in women's golf, and you can take that. You know, if you want to make it LPGA specific, if you want to make it international, what have you. And being the guy that I am, Cody, I'm going to offer you the top pick. What? Is Ooh. yeah for the number one overall pick. Uh, I know we're not too deep into the action yet, but just from what we've seen so far, you know, we're two and a half months into 2023. In your opinion, number one overall pick. What's the biggest storyline thus far? So I, it doesn't need to be LPGA. It doesn't need to be L- LET. It, it just strictly women's golf. Those, think, that's my box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to give you. I want to give you leeway. I want to give you range for number one in my in my world right now where i think we're going with this has to be and this is more looking at the future but this has to be again a group close to us the stanford women's golf team wow wow number one overall pick number one this is why rose everybody knows rose phenomenal player she's going to be a, a certified superstar in the world of women's professional golf. Wins her ninth career individual college championship. Ties a school record there. All right. Stanford continues to win everything as a team. They're doing this without Rachel Heck. Just had surgery on the road to recovery. She ended up getting like a rib re- like removed, which is, seems wild to me. Yeah. Um, and obviously wish her nothing but the best in her recovery. And, and something close to my heart continues to do all of her JRTC stuff. So phenomenal work by Rachel there. You have Megagana, who's a, a certified stud finishing her freshman year. All of these girls, and this is why I'm really focusing in on the, the Stanford's women's team. Almost the entire Stanford's women's team is going to be playing in the Anwa. And I say this leading up because I, I, I know that the LPGA season is kicking off. But if you want to look at what the future is, and we talk about how like the depth of both LET, LPGA, everything going on right now, you don't have to look very much further than two weeks from now when we're watching the Anwa and seeing Rose, uh, Mega, you have uh, both like the ba- the last two champions teeing it up again and Anna Davis uh, and Sabusa. Like it, it's phenomenal. Ingrid's back. Like the, the field there is truly truly special and a lot of these uh players that outside of the college ones the last two championships champions won the anwa are both juniors which is crazy to think 
There's a massive junior event going on this week at Sage Valley, the junior invitational there. So we're really getting to look and see what form these these women are bringing into the ANWA. And that is by far Rose domination. She is my selection for the ANWA. That is where we're going today. Starting it off with college. I don't care. That's where I'm at, Big. Wow. That is a surprise number one pick, but I love it. I am so excited for the ANWA. They've put all three rounds on TV this year, which is excellent. We're going to do a, a big ANWA preview. So, wow, I uh, you got me a little flustered. That that was not in my uh, you know I was I was kind of mocking out our selections here. That was <laughs> that was not in my models. Um, I will say this real quick. One last thing to add there is that a friend of the program, friend of you and I. A longtime listener of the No Laying Up podcast, somebody that's part of the No Laying Up community, Joe Zwickle, Pinehurst or a, a caddy at Pinehurst, moved to Bandon Dunes last year. This is going to be his second year caddying in the Anwa. He's had the same player, uh, Anna Morgan, and and the fact that like one of my friends gets to carry around a weekend Augusta National is like <laughs> so crazy to me. Like yeah. we we usually like share beers and like you know, complain about everything going on in the world of professional <laughs> golf. And Joe just gets to go caddy at Augusta. Like it, it's phenomenal. And I could not be more excited for him, more excited for her. And like to see this whole thing that that's why it's just a it, ton of feel good stories out there. Biggie, what do you got? Oh, okay. Well, before I make my selection, I do want to say uh shout out to the San Jose state women they actually defeated on February 21st in a little I preview know. competition. They, they defeated Stanford three and a half to two and a half. So any, any Spartan faithful listening, I'm sure <laughs> would, would want me to point that out. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's all pointing to the, the NCAA championships later this year in May should be phenomenal. Um, all right. That said, I can't believe this storyline is still available. I feel like, you know, this is Michael Jordan sitting there. I can't believe he didn't go number one. So <laughs> I'm happy to draft. Listen, it's got to be Jin Young Ko. It, it's got to be her winning in Singapore. She had not won since a year ago when she won the HSBC in Singapore. So she went almost a full calendar year without winning which was very unlike her. Obviously, we all had tons of expectations for her in 2022, and it just didn't materialize. And she was fighting a wrist injury, and it was a very frustrating year for her. And so it's great to see her not only win again, she held off Nelly Korda. It was a statement win, in my opinion. And so Jin Young Ko, back in the winner's circle, Hopefully, it portends to a massive 2023 and big things to come. Yeah, I agree. It's a great call. I, I, I feel like that's like the easy layup. The only thing that I, I have concerns there, and could not be happier for Jin Young Ko to, to get back in the winner's circle. It seemed like Nelly did not have her best stuff. And Nelly, like getting that second place finish and playing the way that she did, I think like this is truly a, a Nelly Lydia like just duels constantly all season long, which I I'm pumped to see, and hopefully you know that's what comes out. Yeah, I gotta admit I was thinking about Nelly too. You know she's she's played three events this year, so twelve rounds, and she has shot sixty nine or better in eleven of those rounds. I mean her worst finish is I believe a tie for sixth 
in these first three events. It just feels like big things for Nelly. And and you're right. We we're we're saying that about Lydia. We're saying that about Nelly. We're saying that about Jin Young Ko. I mean, God, if 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 all of them could really reach the height of their game, we're gonna have some unbelievable battles this year. I, I cannot wait. Absolutely. All right. Third pick. Back to you, Code Man. All right. This is uh just strictly a timing thing. And you wouldn't expect us to be this hyped for an event that's still like a couple months away, but literally two weeks away, the final team selections will be made for the international crown. I love it. All right. So for the final, as soon as we are done with play at the LA Open, April 3rd, that's when the final teams are selected. They're announced. They go off the Rolex rankings. Everything's looking pretty good so far. So obviously, if you want to look at favorites, team-wise, United States a favorite, Korea, a favorite, Japan, a favorite, followed by, I would say, Sweden holding down the four spot. But when we look at where we're at rankings-wise in Team USA, Daniel Kang, based off her performance in the first little mini Asian swing, jumped, leaped over Jennifer Cupshaw. So we're just, we, we truly have this battle going for the four spot where it looks like Nelly, Lexi, and Lily. Uh, Lilia have like the first three spots locked up, but it's something to keep your eye on as we start looking ahead to, to this awesome event that thankfully is back on the calendar. Could not be more uh, happy to see that come around. Yes. Amen. And if anybody's listening, they're like international crown. What, what are you guys talking about? It's a team match play competition. So essentially it's going to take uh, the, the best qualifying eight countries and then on those eight countries are are going to be the top four players through the qualification process, assuming you know no injuries or or nobody decides not to play. And there, it's essentially kind of a round robin, a bunch of teams. I I, I have to look exactly how they're going to set up the tournament. Whether it's like two pools and then they get some winners from that, but essentially it's going to be a ton of match play. The teams are set by country. Um, we haven't had this event since 2018. It was supposed to be, it, it's, it's been an every other year event typically. And so the 2020 event was canceled obviously because of the COVID pandemic. And then they, they just, it wasn't ready in time in 2022, but it's back in 2023. It's at TPC Harding Park in San Francisco, Ooh-wee. which I think is a wonderful venue for it. And yeah, it, I, I can't wait. As Beth Ann Nichols and I used to often joke, it's like earning one of those top four spots on the Korean team is probably the hardest thing to do in all of women's golf. Uh, yep. Typically. And so should be fantastic competition. Of course, without a, a, a women's version of the President's Cup, I mean, this is really the only time we're going to get to see in the near future that the Korean women compete as a team against other countries. So... Should be a great event. That's that's a really sneaky good pick there. I think you got great value with that pick, Cody. Absolutely. And you nailed it on the competition. So the first four-day event, the first three days, they're playing four ball. Each The, the tournament is broken down into two pools. So pool A, pool B, uh, odds in one, evens in the other, based off of Rolex overall team rankings there. Um, and then they play, you know, foursomes the first three day. And then at the end, it's, it's going to be awesome. I'm so excited for this event. <laughs> Uh, it, it's nuts. And if you look at like the other four teams that we did not mention so far, uh, England, Thailand, Australia, and China, like England and Thailand, like 
they they really could bring it here. I mean, I know world Rolex rankings aside, they they might look like a long shot, but it's uh I mean, just the players. It there's something about this English team when you talk about Charlie and Georgia and Jody and Bronte, like they just, it seems like they just bring it every single time. And I think match play is truly going to be like team England's time to shine. You're exactly right about that. I was so impressed with both Charlie Hall and Georgia Hall at the Solheim cup. They, they have an ability to grind and really get into a match. I, I was so impressed. Oh God, I can't wait for this event. On the sweetest team, I know we say this all the time too, but like this is truly putting like a, a fence, a, a flagpole down and saying like, okay, like is Lynn Grant playing in this event or not? Like we know we, we've talked about everything going on, whether that's like visa requirements coming into the United States, are, are those finally going to get waived? What's going on there? Like this seems like it would be something where her representing her country in this event that that she would be 100% in on. I just don't know if like the political side of all this is going to catch up in time. Which would be a real bummer. Don't have hope that Lynn Grant's going to be able to play, but hopefully I'm wrong. But still, Sweden Sweden's deep, right? I, I don't think yeah. that that necessarily disqualifies Sweden, but man, it'd, For be, sure. it'd be awesome if, if Lynn were participating. Not only that, our very own young hitter, Madeline Sagstrom, holding down that second spot. If Lynn doesn't play, she's going to move up into the number one spot. We're pumped. We're pumped for this. <laughs> Great pick. Great pick. All right. Um, with my second pick, fourth overall, you know, I think we've had a little too much excitement. I, I got to go the <laughs> other way. And I hate doing this. And I hate that this is a continuing storyline. But it seems like 2023 is is still a struggle for Patty Tavitanikit. Oh, I know. Of course, she was the 2021 LPGA Rookie of the Year. She won the ANWA, or uh, not the ANWA, the ANA Inspiration. I mean, somebody that we expected to be a stalwart in the in the top five, and lost her way last year. I've heard mixed things. You know, I think some of it is mechanic some of it might be off course stuff i don't know exactly how we can you know assign blame or or causation for this but yeah in in just this short 2023 season she's had four rounds of 78 or higher in three events which is just it's hard to fathom cody um i think it's time maybe to be worried I, i don't know if you feel that way um and I think more than anything, it just bums me out because she's such a prodigious talent. I love her personality. I think she's very introspective. I have had the chance to interview her. I thought she was super thoughtful. So I just hate seeing her struggle like this. And I, I hope she can turn it around. I just am not sure if we're close to that yet. No, I agree. It truly is. Uh, uh, you talked about it there, but like it breaks, it breaks our heart seeing this happen because the other scary thing about it is that when you talk about rankings wise her a and a win that's kind of been bolstering her rolex rankings is about to fall off and she's still been holding on like that 50 to 70th spot overall rankings wise but as soon as that win falls off her rankings like she's she's kind of gone and now it's strictly based off performance and i know she's grinding her tail off that's the thing is that like 
she's working on stuff. She had some injuries last year. There was some other off-course stuff that's going on, and she, we, we just got to put it together. We, we, we just got to mend this. Hopefully, that's what this year brings. But, man, you're you're right about this pick kind of being a bummer, man. But it's it's because, Patty, like, we, we love you. Yeah. That's why. Like, we want so much for you. And, you know, based off everything I'm hearing, she's putting in the work for it. So hopefully it'll it'll come through. God, I'm on her Rolex world ranking page, and it, they, they show a little graph right over the last year, and it's just kind of a linear line from the top left to the bottom I right. It's, it looks like one of those ski slopes you go on all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's not yeah. no no bunny hill. This is like no. a black diamond straight down. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I hope I hope that she can get it sorted and and we see her again, you know, routinely in the top ten. But I'd be remiss not to mention that as one of my biggest storylines. All right, your your third and final pick here. I'll I'll send it back to you. All right. Well, you kind of touched on the ANA. Everybody's getting geared up for Chevron. It's a, a, a new. Uh, they sponsored obviously last year's event, but this year is a new location at the club at Carlton Woods. I'm excited for it, but I did a little deep diving and figuring out what are they trying to do to kind of bring a little bit of what they had going on out of Palm Springs to Houston. And and if this is a thing, well, the answer is yes. So I guess the grounds crew went out and dredged and put down nets and lining and everything at the pond directly off 18. So they're, they're not saying we expect whoever wins to jump into the pond, of course, thinking back to Poppy's Pond, but the option is there. And I guess tournament organizers are also going to have the robes and the the slippers and everything available just in case somebody decides to jump into that Houston swamp. So we'll see what happens there. God, that that is such a great call. What pressure on whoever ends up it, winning this year, you know? It's it's incredible. It kind of made me think, honestly, uh, remember the first NIT down at Jackson? We're like, jump in the pond, jump in the <laughs> pond. Everyone's yeah. like, no, don't, don't do it. There's like shards of glass and everything out there. It's kind of what made me think. But the grounds crew, tournament officials, everybody's putting in the work to make sure that it's, it's A-OK. The I, second part about it, yeah. they're continuing the tradition which a lot of people don't talk about this because the Masters gets all the run, but the the AN, excuse me the Chevron has a Champions Dinner. Now this Champions Dinner is is not just like a normal Champions Dinner like they have at Augusta National, where it's like you know Augusta National chefs preparing whatever the the tournament winner wants wants to have done. No, this is like the Champions Dinner. Made uh, so Jennifer Cup show this year as defending champion is orchestrating this menu and the the meal is cooked by Thomas Keller, the chef proprietor of the French Laundry, which I didn't realize was a tradition. But he's coming to Houston. He's bringing his staff to Houston. <laughs> They're still making the champions dinner happen, and I I love it. I, I hope it's well attended. I know in years past it it's been a bit spotty, which seems like a big miss on the on the part of the the players quite frankly you know they they it's up to them to to really turn this into a a tradition and something that could be their you know their idea of the masters champions dinner could not agree more and we give we talk about this on the men's tour all the time about how like probably the texas events on the pga tour are not in the right spot because it's like right on the verge between 
hot and blazing hot and it's just <laughs> really rainy if if you talk about a texas event and like where to go on the schedule their timing is perfect for it like it's the perfect temperature it, it, there's the wind is not really that like crazy of a concern everything is lining up for them but i i know it's a new course and i know people are worried and i know that there's a ton of history traditions that was kind of left when it came out of California, but I'm happy to see that not only the club, but tournament organizers, everybody are putting the right foot in front of the other and making some of these things carry on. Can't wait. Can't wait to see the course. I have no idea, no idea what it looks like. Uh, I will learn it just like everybody else. I hope it's a great home for, for the Chevron and we'll see. I almost think players at the beginning of the week, I, I'd almost like to get players on record. Will you or will you not be jumping into the pond if you win <laughs> on Sunday? You know, let's 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 get an idea of what we're working with here. We're going to have to ask LC about this course, too, because, you know, her parents live down in Houston, spends a lot of time around there. I wonder what her opinion of it is, because I think this truly could be like the the women who who when there's a lot of them that do live in Houston, a complete like home field advantage for them. Yeah, that's true. Stacy Lewis, a handful of others. Okay, good pick. Good pick. Going again. Did not have that storyline on my on my big board. I, I feel like you're you know you're kind of out there scouting all over the <laughs> globe, finding talent, and I'm just I, I'm just relying on you know I'm just watching like the Big Ten, SEC, ACC, <laughs> just just scouting from my TV. But my last storyline, so we'll wrap it with this one, is I, I would be totally remiss not to mention Lilia Vu. She won in Thailand for the first time on the LPGA Tour. She is somebody that's a former amateur number one, just a, a stud, somebody that was labeled for greatness and struggled a little bit initially after turning pro. Obviously, it kind of coincided with COVID, so just some weird stuff there. But 2021 was really a force on the Epson Tour, which earned her her card onto the LPGA Tour. And really, second half of last year just started stacking good, good results. And, you know, this time last year, I was looking at her world ranking. She was down in like the 200s. Right. And now she's ranked 11th in the world. <laughs> She's got a third place finish to go along with her win this year. And honestly, Kate Burton alludes to this in my interview with her, but I think Lilia Vu is somebody that's like, when we talk about the Solheim Cup, the U.S. needs an injection of new faces, big talent. And I think Lilia Vu is that. And it sounds like she's got an attitude of like, no, I'm like, I'm trying to be number one in the world. And God, that's that's great for the U.S. Solheim Cup team, in my opinion. Yeah, for for sure. Her rookie her rookie season on the LPGA Tour, she only had three miscuts. It, it's like phenomenal for somebody who's like still young and figuring out all these like courses and learning to travel the world and everything. Like her overall performance over time is nuts. And I will say, I forget about this all the time. She should have won the match play event last year. She ended up taking third and. It makes me like, I know this isn't a schedule thing already, but we got to figure out a better spot for that match play. I'm, I'm happy that the U.S. Open moved away from it just to give them a little bit of room. Yeah. But man, I remember watching her grind out match play last year, uh, end up taking third and then immediately travel to, to pine needles and just be like completely exhausted. Still made the cut, but 
like just was had everything taken out of her. Yeah, I do like the new schedule this year. Well, there, there we have it. Six, you know, six storylines. Uh, I think the good news is with with the schedule really ramping up here at the end of March, it's it's going to be fast and furious. We sh- we should see a, a lot of developing action. A lot for us to talk about, Cody, which is always welcome. But again, can't wait for the season to really, really start in earnest here at the end of March. All right, Cody, uh, good stuff with this. I think now's the time. Let's let's throw it to my chat with Kate Burton. She's going to speak more to the mini Asian swing that just occurred and speak more broadly about women's golf over in that part of the world. Awesome conversation. And then after that, our last segment today is going to be a conversation with Lauren Coughlin about building her schedule. So I, I hope everybody will enjoy both of those. And now without further ado, here's Kate Burton. And now we are welcoming on to the show. Uh, first time I've gotten to speak to her. This is this is a thrill. Know her work. You've probably heard her voice and just haven't realized it. It's the lovely Kate Burton. Uh, you can find her on Twitter at KB Golf Singapore, as the the handle suggests. She is based in Singapore, so with the HSBC World Championship just having concluded, we thought. Kate, you're you're the perfect person to bring on. So I have lots of LPGA, LET, general women's golf questions to get into with you. But before that, I want to say hello. Thank you for joining. It's a real pleasure to get to speak to you. Well, what a pleasure to be joining you. I love the podcast. And uh, it's the first time I've spoken to a guy called Big Randy, which, uh, as you know, means something completely different in England, where I'm from. But uh, yeah, looking forward to this chat, Randy. Yeah, you know, I always, God, if I, if I, if I, I just didn't consider, you know, a, a potential career in golf media and certainly not one that would span the ocean over to Great Britain. I, I wish I could go back in time and, and change my nickname, but uh, <laughs> alas, I'm stuck with Big Randy. I'll, I'll wear it. But yeah, it always makes me chuckle getting uh, the reaction from the British Isles, if you will. Well, you know what? When I first went to college in the States and I was at FSU, on the first day I went down to the range with the coach and she told me, she goes, you know, I think you could really improve if you stick your fanny out. And I was like, I am never going to get any better if I start doing that. Because as you most probably know, fanny means something very different in England to what it does in America. So uh, I learned, uh, you know, a few Americanisms early on in my college days. Oh, I love that. I love well, and now you, I'm gonna after I've done talking to you, I'm gonna Google what Fanny means uh, <laughs> over across the pond. But let's we'll, just say it looked like I was doing the limbo uh, rather go. than a, a slightly better posture. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, Kate, I don't think I mentioned this, but you do a lot of work. you're you're a broadcaster. Um, you work with both the LPGA and let. Um, so I, uh, like I said, folks, hopefully are familiar with your voice and with your work. Um, let's start here. You know, I, I think the big headline coming out of the HSBC Women's World Championship, Jin Young Ko, she wins her 14th LPGA title. She defends her title from 2022. Is it safe to say, Kate, is Jin Young Ko back? Yeah, I actually really do believe that because it wasn't a great year for her last year. She had that win, you know, and she successfully defended her title in Singapore, the HSBC. But she went to some dark places uh, last year. She's had an injury for a few years 
And then I think with the injury that she had last year in her wrist, uh, she wanted to play more in order, you know, to get out of that drop of form. And in Korea, you generally hit off a lot of mats. And I don't know if this is actually the case, but I think she was hitting a lot of balls off mats. And, you know, as you know, if you hit enough golf balls off the mat with a poor wrist, that's going to exacerbate the problem. So there was a dip in form, you know, because of her injury. It was, you know, it's like they, they, neither was helping each other. And so wasn't finding the results that she was after. I think mentally as well, she would admit, uh, you know, she was struggling to find her love of the game. Uh, you know, golf is different in Asia. I think there are a lot of players that take up the game very much through the influence of their family and their parents want them to play. You know, they were inspired by seeing Seri Pak. They're like, wow, this is a career I'd like my daughter to pursue. And so I think, you know, for some of them, it's more of a labor of love than it is a game that they just enjoy playing. And so I think she played an awful lot of golf, you know, had huge amount of success because, wow, you know, that was a player that very nearly had a chance to win all four majors um, a few years ago, you know, won two of them and had the game. So she didn't play well. She didn't play towards the end of the season. And then, you know, what I understood from talking to her a couple of weeks ago is that um, she discovered meditation. And uh, she, she also parted ways with her coach, who, I mean, I want to get a, a lesson with Siwoo Lee because the guys and the girls that he coaches, Tom Kim he's worked with, Jin Young Ko, there's another player called Min Sol Kim who's going to have the best swing in golf. Uh, so she parted ways with him. So I think all those three factors didn't help her produce her best. So went off, had a bit of a word with herself, discovered meditation. She said that's helped her enormously, uh, rested the, the wrist, that got better. And then she came out refreshed. But she also went on holiday for the first time ever, Randy. She went to the Northern Lights. She went to Paris and didn't take the golf clubs. Now, that is unheard of, you know, over Christmas and New Year, to go away without the golf clubs. And I think that she's playing golf now on her own terms for herself and finding the love for it again. Gosh, that's really fascinating. And there's actually a lot in there I want to follow up and unpack on. But just to put a fine point on, I think, I'll call it a bad year last year for Jin Young Cove, right? Uh, yeah. This is all relative, but certainly how she finished 2021, the expectations we all had for her going into that 2022 season, uh, it was truly the sky's the limit. And she won the 2022 HSBC event in Singapore. And then after that, that was her only win uh, the rest of the year. And not only that, she, you know, she missed a handful of cuts before ultimately shutting it down towards the end of the year. Um, didn't really make much noise in, in any of the majors. I mean, had a couple top tens, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like she was in that final group or, or really in contention. So, yeah, it it was it was a very un Jin Young Ko like season, and so it's wonderful to hear that she's healthy. It sounds like she's in a great headspace. Um, I I was gonna ask, what is? Have you had a chance to spend much time with her, both on and off the course, digging into her personality? I mean, what's what's she like? She's she's somebody that I've certainly seen a bunch of. I think anybody that watches women's golf is certainly familiar with her. Um, she does, God bless her. She does interviews in English, but I don't feel like I know truly kind of her personality, what makes her tick, you know, what that competitive drive is like. H have you gotten any insight into that side of Jin Young Ko? 
I mean, I've had the good fortune to interview her after her wins uh, in Australia at the Australian Open, uh, HSBC, of course. She's lovely. Uh, I don't know her that well off the course. I mainly know her in a golfing environment when I see her then. But she's very uh, softly spoken. She's very smiley. Uh, she seems she's very genuine. I, I, I do enjoy her company. I, I think that she's got the uh, right mindset for golf. Uh, you know, she she wants to. She said, you know, I, I want to play like Tiger Woods. I need to have that mentality. It's easy with so many different personalities on the LPGA. It, it, it's it's hard not to let it affect you when you're on the golf course. You've got to have that tunnel vision. And I know that playing that final group with Nelly Corder uh, on Sunday, two very different personalities. You know, one South Korean, one Korean, one American. Uh, two different caddies uh, get on very well with Dave Brooker, Jin Young Ko's caddy, and. Uh, they play a different game and they operate in a different way to other players, certainly, you know, more of the American players. So I would say she's, she's quite quiet. Uh, you know, she's got a boyfriend that she, uh, discovered, that she met last year, and I think that's going great. Don't know huge about it, but I think he's making her very happy. And I think she's just genuinely enjoying her game again because we know how good she was. You know, she had six wins in 10 starts coming into HSBC last year. It was incredible. Uh, she knows how to hit a green. Uh, she holds the record for most consecutive greens hit. Uh, she, you know, she has an all-round game. Uh, so I would say on the golf course, uh, she's a demon. Off the golf course, she's lovely. And I'm, in, I'm excited to see what she's going to do in 2023. But there's a lot of players who want to spoil her party because, wow, the depth of talent on the LPGA Tour is, uh, is insane now. And and I thought watching that final round from Singapore, I, I forget who it was that commented, but it was along the effects of during that final round, you know, oh, Jin Young Ko, she just has a, a vice lock on on this tournament, and and I took that to mean, listen, when when she's at her best, you mentioned her her record greens and regulation streak. It seems like she's so boringly good right she's just gonna kill you with fairways and greens and she's not gonna make mistakes and it almost then puts that pressure on anybody chasing her to where i believe they have to feel like they have to do something outside of themselves maybe right they, they have to look for you know that eagle or they have to go for a shot that they're not quite comfortable with do you think that's a fair assessment kind of watching jin young ko at her best Definitely. And actually, that was evident in that final round with Nelly, because Nelly's much longer than her off the tee. So Nelly was going for the par fives in two. Jun Young Ko knew, hey, I can't get there, but lay, laid up to her favorite wedge distance. And we talked about that in the final round commentary. She was not phased by being outdriven by Corda, by uh, the fact that she had to you know, play the par fives in a conventional way, yet she still made birdie. Uh, so, you know, she, stu she stuck to the game plan. I know when I spoke to Dave afterwards, when I spoke to Jin Yun, you know, I said, how difficult was that to do? And, uh, and she was really proud of that. I don't know if you I mean, she was crying walking up the fairway on, on 18. And uh, I spoke to her after a round on television and she had tears in her eyes. You know, it, been a, it had not been a great 12 months. Uh, but to successfully defend a championship that's never been defended before and to win with that stacked field, it was loaded everywhere you looked. You know, that, that was, uh, you, you, for her, they were genuine tears of joy that I think she's playing on her own terms, that, you know, she's now 27 and uh, is, is finding a real love of the game that, uh, you know, ha is there, 
but it's it's her genuinely loving the game, wanting to play. I'm excited to see what she's going to do this year. But uh, it's as, as I say, it's uh, when you walk down the range on an LPGA event, you're like, oh my gosh, she's good. Wow, she, oh my, who is this player? So uh, it's it's a good time to be involved in women's golf. And last thing on Jin Young, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like speaking about her coach, this isn't the first time they've parted ways. It seems like, you know, she'll leave and then come back and leave and come back. Do you have any sense to like why that is? Is it just, you know, hey, I, I just need to get away from, from this voice for a while. Uh, I, I've, I've been very curious about that. Yeah. I don't know. I do believe that uh, his travel schedule and her travel schedule wasn't ideal. Uh, I don't know much more about it, but I can't imagine. I mean, I just think the whole world must be wanting to have a lesson with Siwoo Lee because of the players that he produces and the swings that they have. Uh, that guy's got talent. But it, it seems that when she's not with him, uh, her form dips, and then they have been working together. I, I, Randy, there's a, they go on a, a golf camp, the Korean team. They go to Vietnam for about five weeks. And at the beginning of the season, she was up at 4.30 every morning uh, hitting golf balls until 6 o'clock at night. Uh, you know, it's incredible what they do in Korea. And what they're also really good at is that she roomed with a, a girl I watched last week in the Women's Amateur that was also here in Singapore, a player called Min Sol Kim. Have a look at that swing. Min Sol Kim, she's a schoolgirl. She shot 64 at an LPGA event last year, the BMW ladies. And at the time, she couldn't make the Korean national team. <laughs> I mean, that, that's how good Korean golf is. Thankfully, she's made the team now. Uh, and, but, you know, there's that lovely pathway in Korea whereby uh, an amateur like Min Sol Kim gets to share a room with Jin Young Ko uh, and, uh, and they hang out. And there's not many countries where that happens. It doesn't happen in England. Uh, where I'm from, I think they need more of that. You know, surround yourself by good people. So they do it in Japan, they do it in Korea, and uh, it works well. Yeah. Okay. Min Sol Kim will certainly, I, I will look her up and certainly one to keep on the radar. Uh, yeah. I was just going to say, thank God the International Crown event is back so we can see Korea compete as a country. I, one thing we've said here for a while is it would be so wonderful to have a President's Cup-like event on the women's side where you could you know, showcase the, the depth and talent of the Korean women and the Japanese women and the Thai women. It seems like you know Asia is just rich with talent in, in the women's game. Yeah, it is for sure. We used to have the Lexus Cup years ago, and that was actually held in Singapore. And that was Europe, you know, Europe and America versus the rest of the world. Uh, so that was great. Love that. Yeah, but we do need it. You know, we've got the Solheim Cup this year, but you look at how many players are in the top 10. Uh, there are enough of them that aren't teeing it up purely because uh, they're not from Europe and they're not from America. So certainly women's golf, you know, is very different in that way. Well, Cody and I spoke, we did a preview episode several weeks ago um, on, on this upcoming LPGA season. And we were, one of the things we were kind of talking about was, man, it seems like this year is just a banner year for talent on the women's side. It, it, it feels to me, and, and I don't have the history and I don't have, you know, the, the institutional knowledge that you do. So I would love to pose this question to you. Has the women's game on a talent standpoint, you know, broadly speaking around the globe, have you ever seen it in, in as good of a place as it seems to be right now? So I've been working women's golf now for about 17 years. And I would say certainly where I'm based in Asia, uh, in Singapore, 
the, the talent coming out of Thailand, we always talk about Korea, uh, but the talent also coming out of Japan. Uh, I think Japan right now, a third, when it comes to uh, you know, world ranking for players in, in terms of the international crown. Uh, you know, if you've ever been to Japan, I, I commentate on the Toto Japan Classic. That tour, the JLPGA, has nearly 40 events. They're teeing it up for a million dollars each week. They play three rounds. Their golf clubs are taken on the bullet train to the next event. I mean, you can understand why players opt to stay in Japan, like uh, G.A. Shin, who plays sure. most of her golf there. Uh, why leave when you've got that much, you, you, you've got that set up? And so when there's that many people playing, more and more women want to take up the game. So it just breeds success. Um, and I think in Thailand, you've got, uh, there's a love of the game and there's a lot of accessibility, which generally is not easy in Asia to play golf. It's expensive, it's elitist, uh, it costs a ton to go and tee it up. But in Thailand, it seems to be a different story. So you've got a Thai Atitikan. Uh, she's only 20 years old. It's just ridiculous. I played with her a few weeks ago in a pro-am. And uh, what a gorgeous girl. Uh, and what a talent. And just watch an amazing, refreshing attitude. Well, sorry to interrupt, but I, I think from my perspective, it's easy to say, oh, Sayri Park, you know, she kind of led the the golf craze in that part of the world. And obviously her being a woman has translated to, I think, women's golf really enjoying a, a renaissance. And like you said, it's it's kind of a hot spot for emerging talent uh, in the in the women's game. Is it that simple? I mean, is it Sayri Pak? And then in addition to that, you know, you, you live over there. What I, I'm hoping you could explain to our listeners kind of how marketable, how popular these women are, uh, you know, the, these Korean stars in their homeland, the Japanese stars in Japan. What's it like over there for, for these female golfers? Well, you guys came along to the BMW ladies last year. So, you, you know, you saw it. The crowds that you have in Korea and Thailand, you know, when we did the Honda a few weeks ago where Lilia Vu won, wow, what a player. And then Japan, you know, they're six or seven deep. So there is a genuine appreciation of the women's game. And, you know, whether it comes from fans seeing how they play and going, Oh, on my very best day, I might be able to hit a couple of shots like they can. Uh, and that's inspirational for them. I think what they do with the fan clubs is fantastic uh, in Japan uh, and Korea. That, that was the guy's, I think that was the guy's favorite. But well, besides the food and, and some other off-course stuff, I think the fan clubs were by far oh. uh, the, the, the biggest <laughs> highlight of the trip to Korea last year. It's nuts. You've got grown men who are 55 years old in pink baseball caps and banners shouting, <laughs> my forever queen. <laughs> we don't have that. You know, <laughs> you don't see that in the States, in Europe. And there's 10,000 of them, uh, you know, in a, in a, and they're all, you know, they're very protective of their fan group. You don't switch allegiance too quickly. <laughs> and so they have these incredible names. And they're all out there in force. You know, I think it's Her Jin Choi, the rookie. God, what a year to try and be a rookie on the LPGA Tour when you're playing against a tire Titikin. But Her Jin Choi, you know, she's only like 22 years old. There's about 10,000 people out there watching her. Before she teed off, they literally do a chant. It's like a one, two, three, huh. And we were standing on the tee going, I can't believe this is happening. Uh, you get this nowhere else. It's awesome. Oh, that's that's the best. God, that's that's so good. Um, and and I will say for folks, you know, if if you go out to an LPGA event here, especially some of the majors stateside, you'll see some of the fan clubs. I mean, they'll they'll send 
some folks you'll you'll see some banners and signs and matching outfits it's it's a lot of fun but yeah i can only imagine uh how much better it is over in korea in that part of the world um I was going to ask you, in your opinion, the 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 JLPGA, the KLPGA, the the domestic women's leagues in Japan and Korea, how, how do they compare to? You know, I think it's safe to say they're they're obviously a notch below the LPGA. Um, I'm curious how you would compare them to like the LET or the Epson Tour. How, how can folks kind of think about that level of competition? Well, I think when it comes to you know Korea, you've got the KLPGA that has five majors. But you've also got a couple of feeder tours before you even get to that. So you've got the jump tour, the dream tour. So there is so much depth before you even reach the KLPGA. There are a lot of players competing. Uh, on the Japan tour, as I mentioned, you've got nearly 40 events a year. The, the women's golf in Japan is stronger than the men's golf. And so when you've got that infrastructure, that support, and women, J- Japanese women golfers are idolized you know they are placed on a pedestal in japan uh, so and you know you have to go there to witness it you, you won't see anything else like it certainly not in europe you'll have the fans out of course for solheim cup later this year but um there you know you've, and it, it's showing in the results you know so many good players now from japan uh you know nasa Hatoka, they all were inspired by ai miyazato she kind of uh, lit the torch didn't she for uh, the rest of the players to compete and so i think that is particularly exciting so but uh, they've just got depth they've got a they've just got a critical mass and also what japan has um, they use coaching professionals uh, who are not just japanese but outside they know that in order to get better they need to have uh, the technical grasp they work a lot with uh, trackman they work a lot with aimpoint um, you know, uh, super speed uh, to get that distance. I mean, how can a player like Nasa Hatayoko, who's only five foot tall, hit it as far as she does? One of the longest players on the tour. They, they know what they need to do to get good. And, uh, you know, they've got the resources and they've got the desire and the passion in order to follow it through. So, you know, it's, it's just a fantastic setup for the players to thrive. Do you think that the one country that we haven't mentioned over there is China? And you're starting to see more names emerging, at least, you know, amongst the the top 50 in the world. Uh, Do you think women's golf will really pop in China over the next 10, 15, 20 years? It's kind of surprising it hasn't, isn't it? Yeah. You know, when you think about how many players there are, they've got a new national coach, uh, Shan Shan Feng. So that's insane. (laughs) Uh, She was here uh, in Singapore. We're like, wow, you're now a golf coach? She's, She's hilarious. Uh, but, you know, what a winner, prolific winner, a uh, major champion on the LPGA Tour, JLP, a global superstar. So they brought her in. And so that is inspiration for a number of the good players from China. You know, Xi Lin, who plays on the LPGA Tour. Uh, and then, so I think you're going to see more of it. It's whether the country really gets behind it as well. You know, you need those uh, golf associations to believe and to you know, want it to happen too. So I think China is actually most probably going to have to play catch up for the first time. That doesn't, you often don't say that in Asia because it is, you know, the powerhouse nations are Korea, but now Thailand, now Japan. And uh, China's trying to keep up. Switching gears a little bit. So currently on the LPGA, they, and, and COVID has kind of messed with, the schedule a little bit even this year still they've they, they canceled an event that was scheduled for um early in the year in china but as it stands right now they make kind of a mini asian swing 
at the start of the year, and then they go back to Asia towards the end of October, those first couple weeks of November, for kind of a second Asian swing. Do you like how the LPGA has set up that schedule? Would you rather it be just one big Asian swing? I'm curious your thoughts on on how the schedule is currently set up with respect to Asia. Hmm. I think two swings work because I don't think players want to be away for longer than three weeks. And I think the LPGA, you know, the business model where Mike Wan was commissioner, he often talked about we don't want more than 33 events because then we start diluting the fields. Uh, we, we could have more events, but then we don't get the quality of players that sponsors expect. So the return on investment isn't going to be as good. So I don't think you can have you know, five in a row because then you lose that star power. So I think it works out quite nicely. And they're very well-run events that, you know, HSBC was, it's, it was celebrating its 15th edition this year. Honda's been going along for a, even longer, actually. Um, you know, as you say, a few have changed because of China. Blue Bay has now moved. Um, I don't know if Buick's coming back, I believe it is, later on in the season. So purely from a player perspective, you're not going to get the great players playing more than three weeks. So I think they have to split it. That makes sense. I I hadn't really thought about it in in those terms, but yeah, I I can see that. Let me ask you this. We the, and I know this is kind of pie in the sky, but the the deeper I get into women's golf and the more I talk about it, the more I think the women and the LPGA specifically is so well positioned to be able to do some things differently than than on the men's side. And and I think, you know, you've just told me how big golf is, uh, how popular the the women's game is in Japan and Korea. I think it would be really cool to hold an LPGA major championship in that part of the world. I think it deserves it. I definitely do. I mean, we do call the HSBC Women's World Championship Asia's major. I mean, I don't know how many are in the top 10 now. Is it six out of 10? I haven't checked the Rolex rankings this week. Generally, it's six out of 10 players are from Asia, you know, Korea, uh, Japan and uh, Thailand. And yeah, completely. But then hang on, we can't have six majors in golf. I know. That, that's getting a bit crazy, isn't it? But it need, you know, and HSBC has held that role and that position. But um, I, I, was it controversial having the Evian as a, as a major? I think, uh, you know, several people did think that. Uh, I, you know, I do think that if there was going to be a fifth major, really, it should be in Asia just because of the star quality and uh, the mm. number of top players. I know. I was kind of hoping with Chevron being such a global company that they might take that major around the world. Hey, that's interesting. Maybe they will, but I, you know, if they just settle it in Houston, I don't think it's as fun. And and I think it's a little bit short-sighted when we talk about what the women's game could be, and again, how it can differentiate itself from what we see on the men's side. Uh, all right, I want to put you on the spot. We've talked about how deep the women's game is right now. Um, mm-hmm. Cody and I have spent some time talking about like, okay, well, who's assuming health, assuming everybody's kind of near the top of their game. Kate, I'm curious, who, who would be your, your five best players in the world right now? In the world right now, in 2023, you can't look, hard, you can't look far beyond Nelly with that swing, Nelly Corder outstanding yes uh fit now as well uh, i'm going to go a bit global with this so you know rather than just name the top five on the on the world rankings uh, i was seriously in, well, lydia ko 
okay, back. How does a player who dips to 55 in the world only a couple of years ago come back to number one and be so nice? <laughs> she is lovely. Yeah. She could have shot 62 or 82. She comes off the golf course. Hi, Kate. How are you? You wouldn't know. You know, I always find it uh, bizarre how somebody so lovely can be so good at golf. Uh, but, uh, you know, her within 80 yards and her ability to putt. So Lydia, certainly Nelly. Uh, Ataya, Ataya Titikan, you know, reached number one last year, only 20 years old. Great, you know, such a, she has such a good weapon in that distance that she has off the tee. But she has this attitude, this genuine love of the game, uh, where it's going to take her. And so I think that is... You know, a real weapon for her. And three players. Uh, Lynn Grant. Love Lynn Grant. I was curious uh, if, if you had mentioned Lynn Grant. Because that's, yeah. yeah, that's somebody, you know, she, she obviously hasn't been able to compete in the United States the last couple of years. We're eagerly awaiting her moving more full-time to the LPGA. Uh, so it's, it's hard to kind of suss out her dominance on the LET, how that would translate to the LPGA. Yeah, it'll be interesting because it was actually Maya Stark, wasn't it? Her friend from Sweden, uh, her good friend, who won on the LPGA last year before Lynn did. But Lynn made history last year winning on the DP World Tour, you know, first woman to win on the DP World Tour. Uh, I think she's got a, a, a beautiful attitude. She's living the dream, isn't she? She's got her boyfriend on the bag. She's won on the Men's European Tour. She wrapped up the race to the Costa del Sol. Uh, she is hopefully going to be playing a lot more in America. Young, the world is at her feet. I want to be Lynn Grant uh, because uh, that sounds that sounds awesome, her life right now. Uh, and Jin Young Ko, definitely. But God, we were impressed with Lilia Vu, uh, the American wowzers. You know, I caught up with her on the range after she won the Honda LPGA. And I was uh, on the range with her in Singapore the week after. And we're having a chat. I was saying, yeah, God, amazing. Well played, well played. And I said, so what are the goals for you this year? What do you, what do you want to achieve? She said, you know, obviously, Solheim is, is on the radar. Uh, that's number one. And I said, you know, how about uh, where you are in the world rankings? And I said, you know, top five. And she looked at me like, <laughs> top five? I want to be number one. And I felt like such an idiot. Like, yeah, oh, sorry, Lilia. And she didn't say it in a cocky way at all. She's lovely. But that's where she believes she can belong. Uh, after a good year, she has got that steely mindset, and I love it. Beautiful person, great player, and uh, she said, I knew I was going to win. And uh, wow, you want her on your Solheim Cup team, and she's right up there at the moment. So uh, yeah, she's going to be a useful person for you guys in Spain. I was just going to say that. What a perfect uh, injection of both attitude and talent onto the American side for the Solheim Cup. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, yeah, you, you gave me five. And I think the follow-up, I, I think Lilia Vu, not necessarily anymore, but would certainly fall into this category before her win. Um, I was curious, anybody you're keeping an eye out for a uh, breakout season, some under-the-radar types, perhaps some folks mm -hmm. that haven't won yet on tour, uh, who, who catches your eye to have a big 2023? Okay, so with the, the players that I've seen, and also on the ladies' European tour, there is some talent right there. Uh, Kiara Noya, have you heard of her? Uh, she won in Saudi at the end of last year. I mean, she's still doing her GCSEs. Uh, a German player based in Dubai. Uh, wow, what a swing. Uh, she shot 62, actually, a couple of weeks ago in South Africa. 
uh, last week, in fact, where Ash Buhai went on to win the South African Open. But Kiara Noya is nearly six foot tall, um, hits it 300 yards, but has the all-round game. And she also has that, mini, uh, that winning mindset. So she's definitely a, a player that I like a lot. Uh, Maya Stark, who's lovely, very engaging, you know, just a player who, whose love of the game and whose desire to be as good as she can be and to let it happen. You know, the, the results that she can produce. I think she shot 63 en route to winning that LPGA event last year. Uh, so, you know, has, has the, uh, the nerve uh, to get the job done. You know, you, you need players with fangs, don't you? Have they got the fangs to close it out? And I do think that those players definitely have that. And then there is another player called Pia Babnik from Slovenia, who is on the Ladies European Tour, who's all arms and legs. You know, she's like, um, she's six foot tall. I, I feel tiny compared to her. Uh, um, what a prospect. So I think, you know, she was winning golf tournaments at three years old. So from a European perspective, women's golf is in a great place. It's, it's got to deliver. And, uh, you know, it needs, it needs the support. But, you know, they've got to work hard too. Lovely. Love those names. Love hearing, you know, new names that I are not on my radar. You've, you've given me a few already in this podcast, so I, I really appreciate that. All right, Kate, we, we got to get to the Saudi stuff. Um, I want to ask you, you had a chance, uh, our last podcast, Cody, myself, and Tron kind of went in depth with some of our thoughts on just how difficult and murky the decision-making can be for a lot of these women about whether to go play in Saudi Arabia, the, the merits of it, the, the drawbacks of it. Let me first ask you this. I know you listened to that episode. So is there anything that we touched upon that maybe you take issue with or that you disagree with? I'm, I'm curious your assessment on our conversation about um, just the, the quandary that these women face with regards to you know the, the Saudi Arabia influence. Great podcast, by the way. You know, your honesty. I promise I wasn't just fishing for a compliment there either, but, no, but no, I do appreciate it. No, don't worry, it. no. Um, have you been to Saudi? I have not. Okay. I've been a couple of times uh, to cover the Saudi ladies and the men's. And, you know, where we go, yeah, you are locked away. You're not seeing real Saudi Arabia. What I would say is that when we go back in November for the Aramco team series, it's moving to Riyadh. And it's moving to a much more populous place. So I feel it's my responsibility to get out and to go and see Saudi Arabia and to see more than beyond the golf course, because let's face it, that's all we generally have time to do and focus on. So I think that's important, not just for me, but for the players uh, to do that as well. I, you know, women's golf needs money. That's the reality. But yeah, I need to work. I've got school fees. I've got a mortgage to pay. And, you know, you can't deny these players the opportunity to play. And it's the, one of the most valuable companies on the planet when we talk about Aramco. Uh, their injection of money has kept the LET, well, has enabled it to boom this year. You've got 35 million euros of prize money, 30 events. Players for the first time in a long time can pick and choose where they want to play. So a company like Aramco that's also in F1, it's in cricket, uh, you know, it's... Um, it wants to invest in women's golf. And, you know, I think, I actually think, you know, women's golf has to stay current and relevant to hold on to that investment because, you know, the players need it. Playing opportunities 
were difficult a few years ago. If you look at the prize money, Randy, what was the event? So I think um, Becky Brewerton, who finished practically last, made the cut at the Aramco Saudi Ladies International, but she made 13,000 euros. Now, last week in the South African Open, fifth place made 11,500 euros. That's incredible. It, it's, it's insane. So who, you've got an Aramco investment in the women's game and it's enabling tournaments to happen. And that can only be a good thing. Um, I will say, there, you know, the political side of it, yeah, God, there's a lot of improvement that needs to be done. Um, absolutely. But isn't there everywhere? And I'm certainly not belittling anything that's going on in Saudi Arabia. But being a working woman and going to Saudi surely is better than not going there at all. Well, and it, I mean, that the, the, the purse numbers that you cite, I mean, we, we touched on the decision, the reversal by Meg McLaren, who was very yeah. out front and public about... She's great, isn't she? She's wonderful and made public comments about not playing Saudi a couple years ago, but then played it this year and, you know, I, I think conveyed, listen, I'm, I'm a professional golfer. I play on the LET. If I'm not willing to play in these Saudi events, there's just no hope for me to kind of make this a living. And yeah, the, like you said, the, the, the purses being what they are, it, it's a no-brainer for, well, for most of these women yeah. to go play. And they're matching the prize money on the men's tours. So the Saudi men's and the Saudi ladies is the same prize fund. There aren't many other sponsors doing the same. Yeah. So you can't argue with that, especially when it's a tour. The ladies' European tour needs help. It needs events. It needs... Yeah, it needs better television. And if they can help with that through the investment, then surely that's a good thing. Well, that touches on where I wanted to go next was the LET Aramco relationship. You know, I think one thing that I'll say spooked us a little bit or spooked me last year was just hearing the rumblings about Liv potentially wanting to start up a women's league to match the men's league, um, which you know, that, that can be a whole other conversation. But where I'm going with this, the, the more we've thought about it, and I know Cody has said this, is, you know, why, why start up a whole new league when it seems like if they want, they can kind of use the infrastructure of the current Ladies European Tour to build out an Aramco golf tour. And whether they keep that the Ladies European Tour or rename it, I guess my question is, it feels like to me the Aramco presence is only going to persist, perhaps get stronger on the ladies' European tour. And it seems like we're going to come to a point where the LET is either going to kind of become this entity that with, with Aramco backing is, is a, a rival, right? Is, is a peer of the LPGA? Or perhaps, you know, does it fold into the LPGA somehow? What, what, what do you, you know, five, ten years down the road, what do you see with the LET? Oh, big question. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I know Alex Armas, who's the CEO of the Ladies European Tour. I don't know what their plans are, their goals, and I, I don't know what Aramco's plans are. But I know that Aramco are, are certainly invested into this year and beyond. Uh, that I think they've put too much money in the game to you know, not want to focus anywhere else. Uh, so, you know, so I would say 
the, the Ladies European Tour needs this investment. It's six events, you know, and they're all $1 million for five of them. And then there's a $5 million purse, which is the biggest purse outside of the majors. So until women's golf reaches a point where there isn't that need for that investment, which let's face it, that's not going to happen for a long time. There is too much going on in the world right now that is competing for our attention. Uh, you know, we've got all different sports. Uh, we've got golf in all different forms of the game. You've got esports. There's a younger population that aren't watching the game in the way that we have. Uh, and so I think that women's golf has to stay current and it has to stay relevant. And it's got to start evolving to reach out to a newer audience. Um, I love what we do on the Ladies European Tour, but I think there's room for improvement. I could say that on the LPGA Tour. And what I do say is that you can't love what you don't know. People need to come and see these players. People need to come and see what they're doing to really appreciate just how good they are. When you see players like uh, Lynn Grant, like Lexi Thompson, uh, Jin Young Ko, when you see them you know, teared up and the way that they hit, hit the ball and the way that they're able to you know, hit that many greens and to hold that many parts under such pressure when there's so much talent, that needs to be showcased more. And so they need to tell their story better and not better, but they just need to keep on telling their story and reach a bigger audience. So I think you can't argue with any investment that's coming in and you hope it, you know, you just want it to stay because that's going to be crucial for women's sport going forwards. Yeah. Uh, well, gosh, we, we covered a lot here. Kate, this was uh, such a fun conversation. I, I hope you won't be a stranger. I hope our paths cross, whether it be at a major later this year or, or some other event, but would love to have you back whenever, whenever you want to join us. And I really, really appreciate your perspective on the women's game. Oh, it's been lovely. Thank you very much for having me on. All the best. And we'll see you at an LPGA event this year or hop over to Asia. Come and join us again. Well, our second guest today joining us for our last segment is our very own young hitter, a great friend of ours, Lauren Coughlin. Lauren, good morning. I know you're out in Arizona getting ready for the Epson tour this week. I want to talk to you about your decision to play in that. But first of all, thanks for joining us. It's great to talk to you. No, thanks for having me. Excited to be on the big pod again. Where, where are you actually calling in from today? Uh, I'm in a Starbucks parking lot. There's a Starbucks to my left, a Cracker Barrel, barrel to my right. Um, just Did yeah, you grab sitting breakfast? in my my Renault car. Uh, yeah, I got coffee already, but not from Starbucks. A uh, different coffee place. Was just trying to see if I could get on the Wi-Fi, but I wanted to kind of be a little bit further away, so I couldn't quite get on it. Beautiful. Uh, well, let me let me let me introduce you for folks that aren't familiar. I hope most everybody listening is familiar, but just in case not, Lauren. We've, we've now had the, the distinct privilege to sponsor you, Lauren, for, gosh, what is this, year four, maybe? Year three, at least. Um, so three or four years. We got to know you about that time, I guess, 2017, 2018. You came out of the University of Virginia and were turning pro and had Epson Tour, what was Symmetra Tour status for a bit, and over these couple of years of have gained more LPGA status. And this year, I think, you tell me, but it seems like probably your your best status heading into a, a season. Is that correct? Yeah, it uh, absolutely correct. Um, yeah, I finished top 80 last year. 
on our CME points list, which kind of gets you into pretty much everything, including the Chevron to start the year. So it'll be my first time playing in the Chevron. So I'm really excited about that. My parents live 10 minutes from the course that they're playing at this year. So it's going to be really, really nice to get my first start there in that major. But yeah, no, I, so I started and I think I messaged Tron on Twitter in like the beginning of 2019 when the <laughs> Young Hitter program like officially got started. And I listened to the podcast, but my husband, John, very much he was big, big, big fan of your guys's watching the YouTubes and all that stuff. And he was like, oh, you should totally reach out. So I messaged Tron on Twitter and like six months later, he messaged me back literally pretty much just said like, let's do this. And like, that was about it. Like, he's like circling back, like, let's do this. I never replied <laughs> from the, the beginning, but it was circling back and replied back and was like, let's, let's do this. So then like a month later I met Tron and DJ at a coffee shop and it was just like, yeah, handshake, come do tourist sauce with us in like a month at, in Pinehurst. And yeah, so that's kind of how I met everybody. And yes, yeah, so I guess it's, this is my fourth year with you guys officially as one of my sponsors. So well, like I said, we're we're thrilled to be associated with you, and I think even more so than just sponsoring you, you've you've become a good friend, and that's that's wonderful. I think what we wanted to talk to you today about, though, is Cody and I are so interested how you know somebody in in your situation just thinks about their their schedule, right? So so you sit down, whether it's at the end of twenty twenty two or the the beginning of twenty twenty three. And how do you lay out, I want to play in this event, I, I want to string together three weeks here, I need to take this week off. That's kind of what we, we want to dig into a little bit. And Cody, I'm sure we'll have a lot of questions along the way. But Lauren, let's start here. You mentioned you were top 80 in last year's CME list, and that gets you good priority standing going into 2023. Mm -hmm. Did you have the opportunity to play the Asian events that just concluded, the, the Thailand and the Singapore event? No, unfortunately, I missed out by about 12 spots, I think, in both of them, 12 to 15 spots in both of them. I absolutely would have gone and played them if I could have get in. It's, you know, it's it's kind of like our, our bonus for having a good year the year before. And so I definitely would have liked to, especially with just with how much of an off-season we had just both like a good thing and a bad thing. It was very nice to be home for like a very expended, extended period of time. But at the same time, getting back into that competitive mindset is very, very hard um, when you've had that much time off. So that's why I'm playing um, this Epson event this week. Um, I played another event in February. I played the Saudi International again, just to get reps because I hadn't played an event in three months. And um, and it's a really damn big purse. It's it, it it's okay. Also, yeah, and it's, it's, a, huge it's purse. a lot of money, man. Why not? And, and good. It was a lot of money. A lot of money. Really good field. Um, and so it was kind of nice to go see you know how what I'd been working on the last you know month and a half. Um, did I make any progress in any of the areas that I was trying to work on? Did I not? Where where is my game right now? And, you know, it was just like, cool, if I play great, I can make a lot of money, which was a bonus. And then so some kind of had a nice little baseline to where like there was some things like definitely had improved on. So it was nice to see that. And then just still had that rust of like mentally making some mistakes, you know, not having the just to make sure I don't hit it in certain spots. Um, and so I made a couple 
bad mental things there. But that again, just comes from reps. So that's why I'm playing this Epson event this week. Um, it's in Phoenix, which is where we're playing next week for the drive on. So it was kind of was a no brainer, no brainer in terms of like, oh, I just go hang out in Phoenix for two weeks, kind of again, get some more mental reps, tournament reps um, that I couldn't get being back home. So as we look at 2023, broadly speaking, do you have a goal or do you have a number in mind of I want to play X amount of events? How, how do you start thinking about your season? Or is it quite simply, I just want to play as much as possible? Yeah, I think there's a happy medium between that. Um, I don't actually like think about it in terms of, I only want to play you know 20 times this year. I more kind of look and see how the schedule ebbs and flows. Like the beginning of this year, it kind of, everything's kind of in about like two to three week blocks. So like, there's no really reason to skip anything unless you just like absolutely don't like the golf course, I guess. But there's a stretch in June, like after the US Open that where there's like 10 in a row. And it's like, okay, I kind of need to figure out where I need to stop because my max is probably about four events. Really like the happy spot is like three events in a row is kind of how I would like to do it. But I can do four and I have done, I've done six even in a row, but I just really don't want to have to do that. So that's kind of more where I look at my schedule. Like there's obviously certain events that like, I would be like, okay, I'm absolutely like not going to skip this one. I really like this course or I really like this event. It's like, I'm going to go to these one, this one for sure. And then kind of map my schedule based around that where like, okay, I know for sure I want to play this one, but that would mean I would play four in a row if I don't skip this other one or six in a row if I don't skip this other one. So that's kind of how I am looking to build my schedule. A lot of it will be, you know, do I get in the US Open? Do I get in the British? Those types of things, um, which won't, I won't find out till later. And that's a good segue because I was going to ask you, we, you, you've said you have status into the Chevron, the first major of the year. The US Open and, and the British Open are, you'll have to qualify that leaves the Evian and the KPMG. What's your status for those mm -hmm. two majors? Those are both based on current year points list. So like KPMG, I mean, it's our biggest field of the year. It's like, I believe it's 154. And so, I mean, pretty much as long as you've made some cuts here or there, you're going to get in to that one. Um, Evian is a little bit is similar to that, but they share some spots with LET. So it's not quite, it doesn't go quite as deep down the list as it will for KPMG. Usually if you're in the top, you know, 90 or so on the current year points list, you'll probably get into Evian. If you're in the top, you know, 130, you're probably getting into KPMG. So then obviously the, the majors, the, those are those are pillars, right? Those are kind of the, the things you start with with your schedule. I'm curious, you mentioned there are courses, events that really suit you, whether it be, you know, mm -hmm. a course fitting your eye or, or what have you? Um, what what are those? What what are those quote unquote normal LPGA events that you circle and say I I have to play this one or I I really want to play this one? Yeah, Shoprite is one of them. Um, you know that was a course that really really suits me. Um, it's not long. The greens are tiny, and I'm pretty like off the tee. I'm probably one of the longest and most accurate. Like for how long I hit it, I'm one of the most accurate out there. And so it doesn't always take driver out of my hand a lot of the times because I can still hit it, get it as far down as I want to and tiny greens. And so that one is one I 
was in it was my first time being in the final group there last year so that one is definitely one that i want to be um that's definitely one that i'm going to circle um last year i skipped portland but i really like portland so i'm probably going to go back there again this year i've played really well in ireland at the isps honda there the dual event there so that's probably one that i'm even though most people skip it um i'm probably not going to I really want to get in match play. I haven't gotten into it yet, but I really want to. So that's when I'm kind of circling. Yeah, those are those are some of them. I really like Wilshire. I haven't played well there. I haven't made the cut yet, but I really like Wilshire. That's one of my favorite stops on tour. The course is just awesome, and it's kind of fun being in like in Hollywood for a week. I, I'm just looking at the schedule, Lauren, and like it seems like June, July, and August are just like it. There's so much golf. And it's hard to yes. pick and choose these these spots where you are going to take a week off. And I know that like we're kind of waiting on the early part of the year to figure out where the status is going to be at for KPMG, for US Open. And then on the tail end of it, uh, it, it just like how do you even go about choosing? Like it, they're all great events. It, it Does it come strictly down to just like, well, I, I'm going to be completely exhausted by this point. I have to take the week off in order to set up the next three, four week run. Yeah. So that stretch is really what I'm, I'm still kind of trying to figure out. Like the team, the playing in the Dow is super fun. Like the team event that we do, but it's so hard to get there from, from there to Evian. Like it's a huge, huge trip and it's not the most fun thing to do. Um, I did that stretch last year, Dow, Evian, Scottish, British, Ireland. So I did five in a row there. Granted, I missed the cut in at Evian, Scottish and British. So that kind of helped. But in terms of just having only a couple of days of not walking. But I think I'm probably going to skip Dow again this year. Just Or skip Dow this year for the first time. Just because it would be nice to be going straight from D.C. to Geneva. That one nice little flight to get there would be really nice. Um, right. Probably going to skip Canada unless I don't get into the British, unfortunately, because it's just so I want again, I want to play in Ireland. And that's the week before Canada. And I also want to play in Portland, which is the week after Canada. But if I don't, so I need to skip somewhere in there. And it's just, again, getting from Ireland to Vancouver is just not going to be fun. And so I'm probably going to skip Canada, which sucks because I really want to go like Vancouver seems awesome, would love to go there. But just kind of some of the the tournaments that I want to play, it's probably going to be the one that I skip. Uh, that puts you the players in such a hard spot. And a lot has been made about the LPGA schedule and how it kind of laid out, not only on the calendar, but on the globe. And I don't want to put you in a tough spot to like poo-poo the schedule or, or anything else like that. But there seems to be some wiggle room if you look at it. And I understand that there's like 15 to, to 30 very vocal people who get a say in all this until it comes down to the one, like whoever the horse host organization that actually has to write the check. But looking at it, you would think with the amount of overseas travel at the beginning half of the year and at the, at the last part of the year, and then right in the middle, like they, you would think that they would put like a couple, like a buffer week in here somewhere to create these little pods on the calendar to make it. So you, you're not forced to miss an event. That's probably an amazing event in Canada or wherever else. Yeah, and it's a bigger purse too. Like it's like I think it's like two point three million dollar purse, which and Portland the week after is a much lesser purse. But it, at the same time, it's like I gotta skip something. 
in even Ireland, Ireland's like a super small purse, but I've played really well there. A lot of people skip it. So it's like, it's a weaker field. It's kind of, I've haven't played my best and I've finished like T15 last two years playing in it. So it's like, if I can just keep improving, like I have, like, it's a very realistic chance that I, I could go win it. So it's kind of hard to where I just would like to not have to skip Canada, but that's right. kind of looking how it's going to probably be. So like you said, it's, it would be really nice. I think the tour gets a little bit handcuffed with some of the sponsors, just not being willing to move being like, no, this is how, where we want to be. And, or even some of the contracts, you know, are, are year or multi-year deals. And so as things ebbs, ebb and flow, it's hard to change things when, or if the sponsor doesn't want them to, because they're at the end of the day, they're the ones writing the check. I think that's part of it. And I don't, I don't know how, I feel like it's gotten worse the last couple years. I'm hopeful that it starts getting better as the contracts start to kind of run out and maybe the sponsors are more willing to make it more easy for us to travel to these events. So the top players aren't skipping a lot of these events because the travel is ridiculous. Yeah. If you just think about like, your next couple weeks in front of you even here so obviously you're playing in a an epson event this week to get tuned up for the drive on that's the following week but same city luckily then it's a, a pretty easy trip to california then you get a week off because it's the master's week and and everybody takes a week off for that but then you're going to hawaii then you're flying to houston which hey we could call it a home game for you which is great and then it seems like it's right back when they put them in these in these pods, though. But at least you're in California for back to back weeks. Before then, you're jumping completely across the coast again to New Jersey, but you still have match play that you're coming back across the globe. Like it, it just logistically, it seems like more of a nightmare than anything else. It is. It is. Again, this is probably going to be the worst it's been. Um, I think with Chevron moving from california to houston it kind of made makes that weird little pocket of where we go typically before we would go you know hawaii and then straight to chevron so like that's kind of more it, it just makes more sense but now it's kind of going back and forth between houston and then you're going back to la it's weird um it's just i think people just don't realize how hard like travel is on your body like getting cramped and oh, randy will understand like being cramped in the airplane for many many years or many hours not many years many hours is not good for the body like and then you're walking a ton and then you go and sit in a cramped airplane for three four hours depending on where you're going it's just it's very very hard on the body and it takes its toll so it's not gonna be fun but i'm hoping to be in the match play i'm hoping that it is the problem that i'm gonna have this year with getting into the asia events at the end of the year um again there's that weird, there's also like a weird stretch at the end of the year where go, you, I think we go straight from back to back weeks. It's like Japan into Pelican in Florida. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's going to be awful because like a Pelican is a great event. I love that golf course and it's going to be a huge purse this year. One of our biggest like non-major purses. So that's going to be really like, okay, do you skip Japan then? Because you don't want to have to travel straight from Japan to Florida. Like it just doesn't, I don't, I don't know the answer and I don't know how they can, it feels like they should be, we shouldn't have had like a four month off season is what really shouldn't have happened. But I don't know whose fault that is, I guess. Is it 
the tour for not being able to get the sponsors to be like, Hey, no, you should move our events over here and this, you know, going to Florida or going to California or whatever in this time of year. I don't know the answer. Well, big, I don't want to block the calendar discussion, but I, I feel like that was a very easy layup to say, how does communication like this work at the LPGA tour? I think in professional golf right now, we have overwhelming news coming out of the men's side on some of the top players, you know, changing things, how the PGA Tour is structured, what events are which. But how does that kind of work on the LPGA side? Do you guys, do the players just wait to get information from the executive staff or is it, are you guys part of the conversations? I, I think it's something that never really is discussed about the professional women's game. Yeah, we have a board just like, or a player advisory board, just like the men's size, men's side does. Um, I know for me, I'm not on it. And so I typically don't hear much unless the tour kind of tells me or if I'm searching it out. Um, we usually get, you know, weekly reports on any type of big news that could be coming, you know, weekly emails with information, upcoming stuff, anything like that. Typically, we get the schedule or at least see some type of schedule probably in like the middle of the year. It's going to be very rough, but you'll kind of have a rough get go of what like next year is going to look like probably in the middle of the year. But a lot of that, again, like because every couple of tournaments are going to be coming up on their contract. So they could be like, yes, this one is going to be re-upping or they're going to be like, you know, this one, the sponsor may not be. And they'll let you know, like in the middle of the year, like this one, it could be not on the schedule next year. It could be on the schedule. We're not really sure yet. We're still in t talks with the sponsors. Yeah, I think that's kind of mainly how it goes. And towards the end of the year is when things really start to become more official. And that's when we start getting more and more information about what the next year is going to look like and how everything's going to ebb and flow throughout the year. Yeah, I asked that kind of tongue-in-cheek because I know there's a great relationship with the Ladies European Tour and the LPGA Tour. But last year, seeing ladies European tour events hosted on U.S. soil, and then not only that, like doubling down on it this year with this week is obviously the first event of the Ramco Team Series. And then in a couple weeks, we have an Ramco Team Series event in Florida. And you're like, well, I wonder what the communication on the LPGA tour side of this is, because they're very nice and they put it in a, a week off where it's not conflicting with LPGA tour events, obviously hoping that LPGA players go in and participate in it. But it's always interesting. You peek a little bit behind that curtain, LC, and figure out what's going on here. Yeah. So technically the LET kind of is merged with the LPGA or we kind of, over, we kind of gave them a lifeline so the LET could keep going and they're coming up on their contract where the, where the LET is going to have a vote on whether or not they officially join the LPG or not, LPGA or not. I think there's still a lot of talks going on with that on the LET side. But the LPGA is kind of also being like, well, we're not necessarily getting much of a say on whether that happens or not. And so that's going to be interesting to see if we do end up getting a say. And it's going to be interesting to see if the LET is like, no, we're okay. We're getting all this money from Moromco. Like we don't need the LPGA anymore. That could be really interesting to see in the next year or so if that happens. Yeah, they are very nice that they they don't try to do them in the same weeks as some of our big tournaments because our stars probably will go play them if they're right. giving them enough money to go do them because they do do appearance fees, I'm sure. So, what do you got, Biggie? 
no more distractions from, from me on this, but uh, no. you, you open the can, I'm going to go down it. No, I love it. I love it. Not to just jump full hog back into the schedule discussion, but I do think it's worth mentioning, obviously, that the Chevron has shifted. It used to be on what weekend, which I, I personally, I think that's a great move, right? I, I think you had to get Anwa separated from one of your major events. Um, but then additionally, the US Open has shifted to a new time frame, the first week of July, which I hear is maybe not permanent. I think I like it there. But Lauren, my question for you is, it creates kind of this weird little gap in the schedule where you go right from the KPMG uh, which, of course, is a major. And then there's a, an off week, so there's no event. And then you go to the to the U.S. Open. Do you typically like to play the week before a major? I know, I know players can go back and forth. Some don't like to play. Some like to play. But I guess I, I, I'm just noting that whether you like to play or not, at least from the KPMG to the U.S. Open, Nobody really gets to play unless maybe no. you can go play on an Epson tour or somewhere else. Yeah, I. it's a, definitely very weird. I am more of the mind that the more I play, the better I do. Like practice isn't the most fun thing for me. I learn, more, I learn the most when I'm playing. And so that's kind of why I kind of just try to keep playing as much as I can because I don't love to be at home practicing. I like to compete and I like to play in tournaments as much as I can. So yeah, most of the time I would like to probably just keep playing the week before. But talking about the schedule, the Myers the week before KPMG. And if I'm in match play, it goes match play, Liberty National, ShopRite, Meyer, KPMG. So that'd be five in a row if I do all of those. And so with KPMG at the end. So obviously I'm not going to do a five week stretch with a major being the last one. So it's kind of like, okay, which one do I skip? would love to be in match play. So hopefully I'm in that kind of want to be pretty cool to go play Liberty national in a tournament. Yeah. So probably going to go do that. I like ShopRite a lot, like I said, so probably going to go play that. So I'm probably going to skip Meyer, unfortunately again, but, and that's a weird thing where I go, we go from New Jersey to Grand Rapids, Michigan, back to New Jersey. Because KPMG is at ball straw. So it's like I, I a hate, very, I very, hate this for Michigan just getting cut both I know. <laughs> I know. And again, but if I'm not in match play, then probably won't skip Meyer. I did that four-week stretch last year again where it was instead of Liberty National, it was the Founders Cup and then ShopRite and then Meyer and then KPMG. And I did it, but I, I missed the cut at Meyer, and I kind of always have. I've missed every time I've played it. I've missed the cut, so I kind of am like, okay, I don't know if I really want to go, even though I really like Grand Rapids. But yeah, that's kind of the weird thing of like trying to figure out this happy medium, like how many, how much time, how many weeks in a row can like I really do and perform. Well, and then I'm just thinking, you know, we we certainly hope you qualify and are playing in the the U.S. Open, but let's say you know, let's, let's say things don't go your way. Well, then all of a sudden you're almost looking at a month off here in the middle of the season from the KPMG, which concludes June 25th to the next regular tour event is July 13th up in Toledo. So yeah. <laughs> and I'm also disappointed. Let me say, LC, with the U S open moving, uh, I believe the Colorado women's open is June 14th through 16th. So 
you know, I had such a fun time getting to caddy for you last year in the Colorado Women's Open, but that looks like that's not even going to be on the table this year. I know. I was really, my, my mom and dad were, my mom was asking me, so are you going to do the Colorado Open again? I was like, well, um, it, I, it's not the same week as the U.S. Open, so probably not. Which, because it's $100,000 to the winner. Like, that's a huge, huge check for a state open. And so, but I can't, can't, unfortunately, I can't skip Grand Rapids and then go play Colorado Open. Like, (laughs) I don't don't know if I would get that release from the LPGA Tour. (laughs) Talking about weeks off, we haven't even told you yet. We're going to have John and TC's 4th of July scramble that you're going to have to attend to. It's a sponsor (laughs) obligation. So, we're just going to fill it up for you. (laughs) <laughs> you know john john invited tc to come play in his member guest and he's not he can't do it <laughs> oh i'm sure he's heartbroken too <laughs> i know <laughs> yeah, rumor has it tc's playing in the tara Eady member guest as as we speak so <laughs> tough confirmed t- we, we might have to talk to tc about his travel schedule and how he lays out his competitive year you, sh- you should i mean he's going all over the place right now <laughs> <laughs> oh god um well, Cody, what else? Um, let, let, let me let me think here. So, Lauren, one thing I want to touch on before we let you go, can you talk about the reshuffle process and when that mm-hmm. occurs and why that's such a big deal for players such as yourself? Yeah, so this year the reshuffle won't matter to me because I'm in that category one. But in the past, that's kind of always been where I've been really trying to... This is the fir- Well, this is the first year where the reshuffle just like won't matter to me pretty much unless the events go from current year standings, which is really, really cool. Um, yeah, so basically what happens, usually after about eight events or so throughout the year, they reshuffle the priority list. So people from that, you know, say are conditional status, if you Monday in or you get a start in Hawaii, most likely you can reshuffle up and they'll put it above the Q school list the people on the Q school, I think it will be like category 13, I think is what it comes down to. Basically it goes one through 80 of the last year's priority list. Then it goes top 10 on Symmetra. Then it goes, oh wait, no, sorry. One through 80. (laughs) Then it's like random, you know, major winners who maybe didn't finish in the top 100 on the the priority list the year before, some injuries, things like that. Then it goes 81 through 100. And then it's top 10 on Symmetra. And then it's 1 through 20 from Q-Series. And then 21 through 45 on Q-Series are after that. The reshuffle, if you, make, if you make money in one of those first eight events of the year, usually it's after about, let me see on the list, Founders Cup, roughly. Or no, it's after Toledo, sorry. Um, Right around there, you'll anybody who has made money will move up above the people in Q school, the Q school priority list. So you can jump people. You can, if you don't make any money, all of a sudden you're and you're in one of those two categories from Q school. You can really move down the list, or you can really move up on the list if you started way below that. Um, and that's kind of how I made my my way back in 2021 i was conditional from the year before finished at the very end of very bottom of the q Q school um priority number and made the cut at hawaii made the cut at king's mill which was my home event and i reshuffled and i was full pretty much gone i got into everything for the rest of the year non-major wise i got into kpmg i got in and i but didn't get into anything else of the majors but was 
full blow and then was able to finish in the top 100 that year to keep my card for the next year and didn't have to go to Q school again for the first time. And then, yeah, last year was the first year where I really kind of got to build my schedule from the get-go outside of, again, I wasn't in the Chevron from my priority list. So was able to really kind of pick and choose when I wanted to play, when I didn't. Whereas before, it was just kind of like, yeah, I got to, whenever I get in, I got to go play. <laughs> which, which, so it's kind of really cool. Yeah, sorry. Which I think it's hard to overstate how nice that must be to be able to be in control of your schedule. I mean, I, I think that's something that myself included, just we overlook a lot of times with professional golfers is, yeah, the, the, the top, right? The cream of the crop, they can kind of do what they want. But there are so many people that are just like, if I get in, I'm going. And you never quite know where you're going to be a couple weeks from now. I, I got to imagine that can be pretty stressful at times. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, well, I might go try to Monday in this like that before the first reshuffle, just again, to try to get as many starts as you can before the reshuffle. But then if you don't Monday in like, okay, then I'm probably driving somewhere to go play in the Epson event that week. If there is one, that was something that I was doing a lot in my beginning of 2021. Like if I, I went and tried to Monday into like Wilshire, didn't get in. So I like flew to Vegas from LA and then drove like two hours to St. George, Utah and played in like that Epson event. Yeah. It's just, it's very, very nice for sure. Like having this whole discussion of like, okay, well, when am I going to skip? Like before I probably wouldn't really have that. Yeah. It was like, no, it could be, you know, a week or two in advance. I'm going to, might have to fly to Evian. Like, I'm not sure if I'm going to be in Evian or not. Mm -hmm. And like, that's really hard to like try to pull the trigger on a flight when you're like, not sure if you're going to get in or not or like plan accordingly, like getting hotel and all that type of stuff. If you're doing it very last minute, it can get very expensive yeah. or changing things all the time. It's, it can be very expensive, which is, it's not fun. So it's really, really cool to be in this position. Finally, it took me a little bit to get here, but it's fun. I'm excited for to get the year started. I feel like I've worked, you know, the hardest I've worked any off season. I feel like I'm the most prepared I've been um, to start the year, which is really fun. Um, but again, I just, it's hard, it's, it's hard to just knock that rust off when you're not playing. And so again, that's why I'm doing this Epson event. I enjoy being in Phoenix. Um, and so that's, it's, it's exciting though, for sure. What are your goals this year? Are, are, are you a goal setter? Do, do you, you know, in conjunction with kind of laying out your schedule and thinking about your year, are there certain things you, you put on paper that, you know, if, if I am able to do this, it will be a successful year. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, getting into all the majors is always one of them. Um, I haven't, I still, I qualified for the British for the first time last year, um, but I have never qualified for the U.S. Open. So this would be, and I got to play in Muirfield last year, which was awesome. Like that was really, really cool. Um, and getting to play in Pebble and at the U.S. Open would, would be awesome this year too. So getting into all the majors is one of them playing in the Asia events at the end of the year is kind of always a, a goal because it means you've played really well throughout the year. But yeah, I really, I want to win a golf tournament this year. That's definitely a big goal, of, a big goal of mine. I think I'm finally starting to work towards some things that can kind of help me get there, both, you know, on course wise and just like some mental things as well. You know, I was in final group a couple times last year for the first time, you know, one on a Sunday, one on the weekend. And you don't really know how you're going to react until you're in that position. Um, so now knowing, you know, what 
what my body does and how I, you know, how tense I might get or how nervous I might be, what adrenaline I get. Like now I can kind of, I've been there, I've done it. So I kind of can react a little bit better than I did. Hopefully, Um, hopefully I'll be in that position again this year. And I feel like I've kind of turned the corner with some putting and some short game stuff. So that's really, I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited to kind of get under the gun and see it some more. Um, but a lot of it I think is mental too. Like I really struggled in the beginning of my career, like feeling like I belonged out here. You know, of course I always, you know, had the dream of being on the LPGA and playing on the LPGA. And then 2018, my rookie year, I got there and I was like, Oh my gosh, I cannot believe I'm like on the LPGA tour. You know, I'm seeing Stacy Lewis and you know, all these people that I grew up watching and I'm like, wow, like (laughs) this is crazy. Um, and so that has definitely taken me a while just to kind of feel comfortable out here and comfort being comfortable with who I am and being myself and not trying to be somebody I'm not. And I've listened to Max's um, interviews with you guys a bunch. And like, I very much resonate a lot with some of his struggles that he had earlier in his career. And so, you know, I've been, the tour hired a sports psychologist last year um, that everybody on tour, you know, gets free access to her. And so I've started talking to her a bunch about midway through the year last year. She's been awesome to talk to and be able to vent or get advice from like little things like that. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm ready to get going. I've, I, I very much am a homebody. So it was nice being home for like three and a half months, but I was very much like, okay, I'm just, I, I'm over this. I'm ready to get out and play and compete. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Cody, any, any, I'll, I'll leave it with you. Anything else you want to inquire about? No, I think we, we covered a lot. I'm just so excited for you this year, LC. I, I, I know it's going to be a big year. You have those goals. You got to scream them from the rooftop because you're going to accomplish them. I mean, if you look at last year and you put yourself in the arena multiple, multiple times, I'm just so, so, so pumped to see what that evolves into this year. Cause you got it in, in like tenfold. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Last year it's f- talking about last year and goals and stuff, you know, on paper in a lot of ways, it was my best year yet. Like very clearly like my best year. Um, but at times it was very frustrating. You know, I missed a lot of cuts and especially in the beginning of the year. And so it was very hard. It took me a while to be like, no, like stop focusing on that part and be like, you were contending at a major in KP, uh, KPMG on a weekend. Like you were in the top 10 of a major. Like you were on the final group on a Sunday. Like you led the golf tournament a couple of times throughout the year. Like last year by all accounts was a success, a success but it, at times it didn't feel like it. And so that was really something that took me a little bit to kind of get over mentally. Be like, no, look at how good you did last year, actually. But I think it goes to some of my expectations have risen. And so while like I did really, really well, I feel like I could have been better if I could have just figured out some, some things quicker. And so, yeah, it's, I'm again, I'm just really excited to get to see how this year goes and hopefully just keep kind of keep building and building on what I've been doing. I love it. I love it. We are, we are so excited for you. We can't wait to follow along and yeah, obviously just wish you nothing but the best and appreciate you coming on right before your practice time. You're going to get out and practice in the rain. Yeah, can't get wait. back on the grind, Elsie. <laughs> Come on. The season's starting soon. Yep. 
Cool. Well, thank you guys for having me. It's always a pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. <laughs>